This is the Decahedron Podcast with Joe and James, two old dudes talking about RPG stuff. Hi, James. Hello, Joseph. Hey, this is a kind of special episode we're doing. This is the first of our feedback episodes. Uh, We've published like uh, three episodes so far, not like three, exactly three. And we have feedback on all three, pretty much the same feedbackers so far. Hopefully we'll get more in the future. We have some that commented by email, some that commented by sending us voice feedback through our voice feedback line. And, And I lost them. No, they're there. There's the Dropbox. So the first one is from Daniel from the Bandits Keep podcast, and I'm going to play that now. Hey there, guys. This is Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in, listening to your first episode. Really cool subject. I tend to lean into the uh, single damage myself, D6 for everything. But I use a combination of original Dungeons & Dragons and Chainmail, so weapons definitely make a difference. So I like the idea of the weapon making it easier or harder to hit certain types of armor and all weapons doing the same damage. I don't know. It just works better for me. What I don't like is all weapons attacking all the armor the same and them all doing the same damage, which is kind of what you get in basic D&D or if you use the alternative combat system. So I think that if you're not going to use some kind of special setup where the weapons are more effective or less effective against different types of armor, then I think a, a good compromise is to is to just have them do different damage. But again, in a world, in a perfect world where I could decide, I would have the weapons all do the same damage and some are better and some are worse against different kinds of armor. Looking forward to listening to the rest of your podcast. I haven't quite got there yet uh, to the end of it anyways. I just wanted to call in because I'm about to get out of the car. And, uh, and I see you have a second episode as well, so I'll check that out. Thanks for that, uh, Daniel. James, what I'm hearing Daniel say is that Joe is right and James is wrong. No, I think he's going back to saying, <laughs> let's do the much more complicated way. Okay, what armor classes are, we- are they wearing? What weapon- <laughs> What does this weapon's plus or minuses to that oh. armor? And what do I finally need to hit with what level that person is? Okay, so he's saying you're both wrong, but of the two, Joe is more right. <laughs> Um, Uh, I don't know about that, but I believe we tried that once and we spent an hour trying to figure out combat when we first started years ago in your basement. We tried to figure it out and we could not figure out those um, details. Yeah. Well, and and like he says, he's basing it more on um, chain mail, uh, which is, which is if you read the original D&D book, it is how they kind of imply that it's supposed to be played. Um, they didn't really play it that way. They wrote it that way in hopes that uh, that they would attract more chainmail players to D&D. Uh, what we know as the D&D combat system with the D20s presented in the original book as an alternate system, but that's really the one that they used and the one that caught on in the end eventually. But uh, Daniel's saying he likes the old one. And, you know, as we, as everyone always says, there, there's no way to, to, to game wrong if you're enjoying that. Although... I find it interesting what he says about uh, every weapon doing the same damage, but having different effects against armor, different armors. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how my Lucky 7 game is handling armor and weapons. So 
Maybe he'd like that. Although if he likes Chainmail, Lucky Seven would probably be far too simple for his tastes. Mm-hmm. All right. Are we ready for the next one, or did you have anything else to say about Daniels? No, that's, that's all, right. all I had to say. Next one is from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And let's play that now. Hey, Joe and James. Jason here of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. For more AD&D goodness, check out Grog Talk. Pretty great YouTube show and podcast. Well, actually, they just do the podcast from the YouTube show, but they're on Saturday mornings and they um, talk about all kinds of stuff, AD&D, including the combat wheel that you mentioned. Is I see, can see both sides of your your arguments here. The problem with the math part of it, the D6, you, you know, as equal chance of killing everybody is when you hit point inflation as the characters go up on the level. Then, of course, that stops because then even your battle axe, two-handed sword, can't kill somebody with one blow. So that's a problem. But I do like the idea of any weapon being able to kill any first-level character. Ultimately, I like the variable weapon damage, I think. But my preference is chainmail for the combat system instead of the alternative D20 system if we're playing OD&D. AD&D, I like to try to play rules as written just because it's fun and nostalgic to try to use the rules across the different books. But it can be tough. I actually prefer Palladium to both. So there you go. Anyway, take care. I'll look forward to your next episode. Hey, Jason. Thanks for that uh, feedback. Hey, uh, James. It sounds like another person who uses uh, chainmail. Who uses chainmail? Um, I actually, that's probably not as coincidence as it seems because uh, Jason was very nice enough to plug our podcast on his podcast. And so his listeners, being he being a guy that likes chain mail, probably are guys that like chain mail. And so uh, probably why uh, we got Daniel and him both liking chain mail. That's my guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, but another guy who likes chain mail. Um, I did want to, Jason talked about hit point inflation. Yeah, I actually think that's that's a good thing, though. Although, yes, one weapon blow probably can't kill a higher-level character. That's that's the whole point, right? That's what makes them the higher-level character. They become more skilled at their fighting craft, and they can survive more rounds. Uh, so I think that's a feature and not a bug. Um, other than the... Re- oh, he recommended uh, those two podcasts. Um, I listened to one uh, and not the other, and I forgot the name of the one I listened to. I could look at my podcast player here i did i did both of them grotnod was the first one but i'm not remembering the name of the second one either. yeah that, that's when i i haven't listened to the 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 second one i actually su- subscribed to and so that's why i'm bringing up my uh nerds oh no yeah <laughs> he mentioned the one and his is the other and i said i subscribed to his i have not yet listened to the other one but yeah i like jason's podcast but that's that's getting far afield. Do we have anything else to say to Jason? No, he seems to be enjoying the old, older style, which, like you pointed out, that's what Chainmail is. I don't know if it's easier or harder, or they just learn the rules and are able to handle them more easily. Um, It's very different. It's very less role-play and more wargaming-y. Yes. Um, yeah. So, but, and that's know. not really you. You tend to want to do more storytelling and more theater of the mind is what we call it. Yeah, I I still like having the figures out on the board, knowing where they are. 
I understand your thing, but I like it the other way. So I like Fate's system where you kind of have a map, but instead of having squares, I can move five squares or whatever, you have zones and pretty much the zones are, you know, in the room, in the hallway, by the Diaz, whatever. So I like that. Uh, But that's because I don't like let's count squares. Let's interrupt our role playing and do a table war game. Just not my thing. Okay, shall we go on to the next one from Sam? Yeah, from Sam. Sam sent us an email, and Sam says, I would love a system where they identify features of classes of weapons, and then you flavor with what you want inside of them. And then he gives some examples, like uh, one class of weapon is hideable weapons, and they do like a D4, and they're throwable, and you can conceal them. And then he moves on up to large weapons, which have to be two-handed, and they do more damage. And he breaks down some categories in between. I'm not going to read them because that wouldn't be fun to listen to. I'm going to, yeah. And then he says you get whatever proficiency with different groups. So you continue to use an axe, but if somehow you get a proficiency of medium arms instead of small arms, your axe does more damage. Um, How do I feel about that? This actually reminds me of a little bit of, uh, oh, the way they handle, uh, no, I was going to say Dungeon World, uh, where your weapons have... uh, attributes they have uh, mm-hmm. tags they have uh yeah tag little descriptions uh, one word descriptions that you can uh put into play then he says he really enjoyed listening to both of our opinions on it and he likes uh the idea of armors having different functionality as well and then he says this is the best short form podcast i've ever listened to signed the guy who's only listened to this one <laughs> so is that Thanks, good Sam. or bad <laughs> But uh, but, uh, part of what he said, um, I think in its third or second edition, I remember where they were trying to make groups of weapons. So you you either knew sword or you knew axe. So third edition has your your weapon proficiencies are things like simple weapons, martial weapons, uh, heavy weapons, and uh, yeah. So that's probably what you're thinking of right there. Right. Uh, whereas in GURPS, you have your skill in the specific weapon, a two-handed sword. And right. then any other weapon, though, can kind of um, default off of that. So a broadsword would be your two-handed sword minus one or something like that. Okay. All right. Uh, last we go e- on to the last yeah. one? Yeah. Last email for our first episode was from Zachary. Zachary said, I enjoyed listening to episode one of Decahedron. Thank you, Zachary. We enjoyed that you enjoyed it. Um uh, you both had good points. Huh. I think my points are better. <laughs> you always think that, man. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd, I'd have your points. Uh, anyway, uh, you both had good points, and it was enjoyable to conceptualize some of the give and take of the damage determination. I look forward to the next episode. Well, I hope you listen to it, Zach. Actually, we, I'm peeking ahead. We have feedback from Zach for the next episode, so he listened to it. All right, okay. so that's it for episode one. Let's move on to episode two, James. Okay, um, one question. Do you want to do separate listings, or are we going to do all three on this? No, we're going to do all three. Get them out of the way. That way we'll be caught up. Okay, so it's Jason again. It's Jason again from uh, Nerds Variety RPG Cast. Uh, Thanks, Jason. Let's listen to what you have to say. Hey, this is Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Enjoyed your second episode. Great stuff, great discussion. Yeah, there's definitely extremes in there. I don't know how many 100-plus pages of character background there exists. (laughs) I I do have a buddy that enjoys getting long character backgrounds because it gives him the Joe Richter of the Hindsightless podcast. 
it gives, and he's talked, we've kind of talked about this back and forth on podcasts before. And the idea is that the stuff's there if you want to use it. The key is the GM should never feel forced to use the background the players provide them, right? You know, like you guys discussed, you know, no war didn't happen at the time you're talking about. Um, so maybe the background gets tweaked a little bit to its a raid, or, you know, they could still be in a fight that year of some sort, right? But it could be a goblin raid. It could be whatever, but it's not actually a war. But, you know, I – I don't know. I am very much more of the idea that I like to have my background as I go. Um, sorry, early in the morning, I don't know if coffee yet, but it, I'm very much of that. You, you know, the the background coming out during the game, just coming up with the, the shell of the character, a couple bullet points, and, and then we develop as we go. That's strongly my preferred style. But you know, a, a paragraph, a background, a page of background never really hurt anybody as long as you don't expect that the GM has to use it. I, I think that's the key there. But take care, keep up the great work, and I look forward to your next show. Hey, Jason, thanks for that. Hey, James, I think what I heard was Jason saying, hey, Joe, you're right. James, you're not wrong, but Joe, Joe is right. <laughs> uh, I'll go halfway there. He's saying you're more right. But I I never said there should be a 100-page or 50-page I, I would I, say I, more like a two-page thing. At oh, the see, the, even even that's too much. I, I like when when you were saying like the one box on the character sheet. I was like, yeah, okay, um, but no, I really like that he was saying. Um, what what it's what I was called the the emergent uh, background is. You know, as you start out with a little bit, and as you play, as you get into that headspace, you can more and more fill in those gaps. But like he and I agree, uh, you have a different opinion. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's just that the DM needs something to work with sometimes. Also, I did like where he said that the GM shouldn't be forced to use anything in the background. You you, you agreed with that anyway. So yeah. we, we, we all agreed on that. And uh, I noticed that he plugged yet another podcast called Hindsightless. I have not listened to that one. I've just written it down on my little list, though. Uh, I was just about to ask you if you caught that. Can you email that one to me if you find it? Yeah, in fact, I'll find you a link and I'll send you the link. All right. Okay. Was that the sure. only voice one for this episode? I yes, think the rest next one is Sam again. Yeah, so a uh, secret. I work with Sam and Zach, and so I uh, I force them to give me feedback. Ah, mean boss. I'm taking it. You're no, I'm, I, I, I'm not their boss. I just co-worker with, with them. But uh, they, they, they're both gamers. And so I said, hey, I have a podcast. And so... Uh, they're like, you know, they said, whatever. I said, oh, can I use that for the show? And so they, I get them to send me the, the feedback. Uh, maybe, maybe someday they'll call in and leave us voice feedback. Um, anyway, so Sam says, I want to know how much Joe hates live play podcasts. Um, oh. I'm, I'm going to interrupt right there. I'm going to say, you know, I, I, I exaggerate a lot of what I say for, for humor's sake. Um, I don't. I think my exact words for that episode were, I despise, we should do an episode about how much I despise live play podcasts. Um, hate is a strong word, but they are definitely not for me. There is only one I've ever listened to. And I liked enough to listen to more. I think we have an episode coming up where we're going to talk about various podcasts that we like. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's going to be on that list. So I won't talk more about it here. And we're we're going to be on opposite sides of that. Um, I will tell you, I listen to several podcasts where the story is an hour-long episode, and some of them are beyond a hundred episodes. 
Yeah, and see, the one I liked each episode was only 20 minutes long. So there you go. Anyway, um, let's get back to uh, Sam's email here. Uh, And I want to know if it's the same reason I dislike some of them. Well, Sam, um, if the reason you dislike them is because you feel that role-playing is not a spectator sport and that if you want to role-play, you should do it instead of listening to somebody else do it, then it's the same reasons. Uh, Well, I'm going to say sometimes you can't get a group together or you can't get a time to play. So as you're doing, uh, as you, for example, do your running or I'm driving to work, it's it's a distraction that's enjoyable to pretend that you're there actually playing. I wonder if we should do a full episode on that. Maybe we just covered everything we wanted to say right there. We probably did. Okay. Uh, Sam continues, I'm also on Joe's side with a background concept. Of course, because Joe's brilliant. I added that part in. Um, brief background is better than a long background. If you start at higher levels, maybe you need a longer background, but I've never started at high enough level for that to matter. Okay. Uh, so you also told him what to write, didn't you? <laughs> I absolutely did not. Um, no, I did not. Okay, let's go on to Zach and see what the other cohort wrote. Zach says, I enjoyed the character backstory cast. Thank you, Zach. We enjoy you enjoying it. Yes, I'm going to say that every time he says that. Um, At first, I felt that I lined up more with James's stances. Oh, no. No, Zach. No. Don't go to the dark side. Uh, We we have chocolate chip cookies. Uh, but with the appreciation of Joe's points as the, as a GM, I see the value in having a good skeleton that can be expanded on. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm starting to suspect that Zach is one of the guys that will always agree with both of us. Uh, maybe he, we'll he, is a really, he is a really nice guy anyway. Oh, then he tells us a gaming story from personal experience. I was in a campaign where a GM let me play a thry green. What's that? It's an insect creature, I believe, from third or fourth edition. I'm not 100% sure on that. Oh, I've never heard of this. Okay. Um, let me play a Thride Kreen, which are usually hive-minded creatures. But my backstory was that basically he lost connection with the hive mind, so he was autonomous, but also a little screwy. Nothing huge, but enough to build on and give me the direction when role-playing. Yeah, and that was, that was the point I realized when I was listening to that episode. I made this whole tension about my uh gamer world character and i never said my point um was that really it was that one bullet point that um she was a shapeshifter and had no native shape that that was all i needed for her character background i didn't need to write seven pages from that one bullet point i could extrapolate the rest and that was my point with that uh check your chat i just sent you a picture of what a tri queen looks like all right well i will do that after we're recording because that would be very boring listening. Uh, okay, let's jump to episode three. Uh, oh, two voicemails from uh, Jason and an email from Zach. Uh, let's start with the first email. I mean, nope, I lied. Let's start with the first voicemail from okay. Jason. Hey, guys, Jason here. Just listen to your episode on alignments, episode three. And I paused the episode because of the comment, our GM inserted a lot of swords that changed alignment. And I might be paraphrasing a little bit. I'm curious. And so you wanted a front-loaded topic. You opened the episode asking maybe for us to call in for topics or call in ideas. Do you guys like to use treasure tables? And, you, you know, do you like to roll it at the table in the game? You found a hoard. Let me roll to see what's in the hoard. Or do you predetermine it ahead of time? When you roll up a magic item, do you think, oh, this is far too powerful. I can't give this to my players. Or do you go with the tables and let them have what's rolled up if you do it at the time? 
I'm curious. Thank you. I'd like to start on this. Um, now, to part of your question. Wait, wait, don't. Okay. don't I'm going to. Uh, I, I really like his question. I like it a lot. And I already put it on the episode list idea for us to do a full episode right. on. So I'm not sure we should actually answer the question in depth. But if you want to I've, give like a little. I'm going brief very. Thought, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going very short on it. Okay. So we used to do the rolling, like you said, but it was very time consuming. And the other thing is, is you want, if you're given treasure out, you want something that's usable by the party. So sometimes you predetermine what magical weapon or item is going to show up so that it is useful to either a particular character or useful to the people in the group, not just to be, oh, let's go to the town and sell this scroll. So, um, again, I'm not going to any depth. I will say briefly that I roll in advance, and when we do the episode, I will give all the hows and wows. Hows and wows? Hows and whys. All right, let's do his second voicemail. So my favorite alignment system, I finished the episode now, my favorite alignment system by far is the one used by Palladium. Palladium books and Palladium Fantasy and their other games where neutrals were placed with Selfish. Definitely check it out. I'm sure you can do a quick internet search and find the, the different specifics on there. I, I find that's a, a much better one that, you know, looks like real people as opposed to what D&D does. That said, I am going to guess that you guys are probably not going to do a podcast on the virtues of the rating system AAD&D. But if you want to make a comment on your thoughts on that, I'd be interested in it. Take care. Hey, Jason. Thanks for that feedback. Palladium. He mentioned two things there. One was Palladium. One was a rating system. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Palladium, James? I could not find it in the time that I had, so I'm not sure what the Palladium one was. But I did go into a deep rabbit hole on the other one. So I have never played uh, Palladium. I thought as a company... Um, they were very evil. Like when Thieves World gave conversion information, I think it was Thieves World, uh, for how to convert from different games to their game if you wanted to play the Thieves World adventure. Palladium freaked out and said, no, you can't do that. And in the early days of the internet, when people would talk about Palladium online, they'd freak out and they'd say, you can't do that. And so I then went with the opinion, well, if you don't want me to know about your game, I won't know about your game. And I just dropped out and have never had anything to do with it. Other than I do have one Palladium book, uh, which is the book of castles, weapons, and armor that I use <laughs> as a reference. And it's a great book, but I bought it used. So they didn't get any money off of me for that. And I don't see myself buying another Palladium uh, product. I did do a quick uh, web search. I didn't find much. I found pretty much it's good, evil, neutral, and then within the good and evil category, there's different names for different things in there. But the one article I found wasn't enough for me to have any opinion on. And you said you don't know anything. So the other thing was the D&D rating system. Um, Jason, you're going to have to call back and tell us what you meant because we don't know. I looked through briefly the original AD&D core books, uh, you know, Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide. I did not see anything there. Um, James did a web search. 
which he, he's probably going to tell us about, but I'm going to cut him out because none of that was anything that was official AD&D stuff. Was it, James? It was not official D&D stuff, but... So, so, so then, then, then that's not really the AD&D rating system, right? It's just some guy's house rule. And so, yeah, I think rather than commenting, we should get, we should get Jason to tell us what he's talking about. I would still say, I'm going to make it this way. It is still the basic nine things. It's still the same, same box, but it's more of saying that the characters are not just lawful good. It's more of a cross in lines that... No, I, see, I, think, I think what he's talking about is a system wherein you grade the player for how well they play the alignment. Your character says he's lawful good, and then you keep a score box every game. Uh, uh, I will... Um, pick on something you said earlier. Myself, I do own at least three of the Palladium books. I have the Castle one that you're talking about. Well, the, so so the one I have is actually three of their other books that are combined. So it's Castles, Weapons, and Armor. They were originally three different books, and they put out as one. Yep, I have all. Yep, and I had the three single books. But yes, I would. I I wouldn't mind hearing back from him to talk on the subject because, like you said, I I I did go looking for it. It is not a simple thing, but I do like the idea for what I took out of it. But like I said, let's find out from Jason. Hey, Jason, call us back. Let us know what you're talking about. All right. And finally, we have an email from Zach. And it's a little long, but I thought it was interesting. So let me start. Just listen to your alignment cast. I wasn't familiar with the history, which was quite interesting. Personally, I do enjoy the nine alignments. Oh, he's agreeing with you, James. <laughs> so you got to keep reading? Uh, no, we don't care what's that. No, we, I personally do enjoy nine alignments for character inspiration and quick establishment of general personality. And in honesty, for the enjoyment of looking at something like a show movie game, I like fitting characters into the chart. Oh, that's where you watch like uh, The Princess Bride and you say, is, uh, is I don't know, is Fezzik, you know, good or evil or lawful, whatever. I would say he's true neutral. He's in it for the money. Oh, but he has kind of a heart of gold. Uh, <laughs> There's many a characters. Just let's uh, say Conan. What would Conan be? Uh, Conan? Conan's either neutral or slightly lawful. Uh, I, if you go with the... I mean, he, he was a king, so... Um, I was thinking more chaotic with what he does, but part of what you said does make sense. His training was much more lawful background. Anyway, um... Zach continues, um, it does provide a good fit, no, a good first spot for dividing into deeper discussions about characters' personality, tendencies, and desires. As for not punishing the players for breaking alignment, I thought that exa- that I thought it sounded like Joe was on the side of allowing complexity and nuance beyond just lawful good equals always good always. Yep, that's exactly what I was saying. Um, with that context, I agree with you both. Hmm, I told you he's going to agree with us both always. Um, infractions on the character's alignment are just fine. And as with any story, those very moments could play into the character's alignment changing over time. To go into Star Wars, Anakin starts as a true neutral and then is mentored and brought up into a lawful good environment, though he tends to skirt the lawful part a bit. But as he is tempted, he starts making decisions creeping closer to neutral and evil. Eventually, he falls and becomes Darth Vader, a decidedly evil, though not sure whether lawful or neutral character. Definitely lawful evil, for sure. Yeah, no down in my mind. That's what um, I would agree with. Yeah. And finally, in the end, he makes a contrasting good choice and redeems himself to some degree before passing on as a reestablished good character. 
All the hiccups were signs of character change or reactions to the major stimuli that the character didn't have time or fortitude to figure out before responding. That was a very deep response. Zach, thanks. Thank you, Zach. That was in depth, yes. uh, I would say that Star Wars is an excellent example of why I like three alignments. Uh, Lawful, chaos, neutral. But like I said, I don't like them to be those because Star Wars is very much uh, a three alignment system. Empire, Rebel Alliance, neutral. (laughs) Um, And that's that's what I was saying, right? It creates a very black and white world. You're either on this side or that side, and it's good for heroic-style adventuring. It is, especially movie-oriented, but it is a complex... But in, in in that that's what we're that's what we ended up saying, right? It depends yeah. on on how you're using alignment. If you're using alignment for what side of the universe you're on, I like three alignments. If you're using it for your character's personality, nine alignments. So yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that was an excellent excellent feedback, Zach. Thanks. Um, so that's all we have, James. Do you have anything else? Not at this moment. I believe this is long enough for yeah. We've gone on for thirty three minutes. So uh, uh where will... was your timer? Well, I, I turned it off for this because the goal was to get through the feedbacks, and it's going out as a bonus episode, and I don't think bonus episodes are necessarily time-constrained. So, Okay. Well, gentlemen and ladies, thank you for listening to us. Hope you come back again. We will be recording next week. Next week's topic is... Oh, it's a review. Oh, it's the review of uh, Basic Emporium, um, Basic Fantasies and Equipment Emporium, because the equipment, the point of OSR October is really to highlight good OSR uh, products out there, and so... That's one that we decided to do a review on. But until then, uh, James, have a great week. And you too, Joe. And to our audience, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Decahedron Podcast. Send email to feedback at decahedron.com. Remember to spell decahedron with a K. Voice feedback can be sent through the Anchor website or by calling 562-RPG-CAST. That's 562-774-2278. Links are in the show notes. Music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod, logo by DesignCat. Thanks for listening.